0: And I think we're definitely about to deal with that in the next four years. But I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Jude. The book of Jude is one chapter, 25 verses. We need to recognize that Jude was not only the brother of James, as the text clearly states, but he was also the stepbrother of Jesus. And he's given an incredible warning here to those who are in the church that they need to do the same thing that I'm going to ask you this morning to do, and that is to contend for the faith once for all given by the saints. Let's look at Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. And if you found the sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by just saying, "Yes, yes, Lord. Jude 1 through 25. Greetings, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept. For Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you that although you once fully knew that Jesus, who saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael contended with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they like Unreasonly animals understand instinctfully. Woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain and have abandoned themselves for the sake of gain of Balaam's error and perish in Korah's rebellion. These are like hidden wreaths at your love feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds. Fruitless trees in late autumn. Twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict the ungodly of all their deeds and all of their ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these are grumblers, malcontents, following after their own sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save some by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating Even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. You may be seated. Jude explains to us the circumstances that has led to his writing of this letter. He wrote this letter that those hearers would contend for the faith that was once delivered by the apostles to the saints to contend my friends means to struggle to face opposition to contend with an enemy for control to strive in a rivalry to dispute to dispute falsehoods and promote purity and to maintain what is true and what is earnest Jews starts out saying I had a totally different intention for writing you. I wanted to write you about our common salvation. I was eager to write you because of our common salvation, but because of the vile, false teaching that was being presented in the churches, I had to first confront the lie. I had to bring to you once again the true teaching of God's word. Well, why is that, Pastor? Because our common salvation is based on our understanding that God has chose us as his most prized possession before the foundations of the world. That God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem us from our sins. Our common salvation speaks to the fact that we have inherited sin from our parents Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden. Our common salvation confirms that sin, the sin that's in us, makes it impossible for us to ever make amends with a holy God. Our common salvation is secured through Jesus Christ, through his sin payment for us, and his sacrificial atonement of the Lamb. Our common salvation results... In victory of an uncommon love that comes through the grace of God and by the person of Christ Jesus. This Jesus, whom God has sent to live on this earth a sinless life before him and all of mankind. This Jesus, who was bruised for our iniquities and chastised for our sins. This Jesus that gave his life, no one took it. He laid it down because he had the ability to pick it up again. And he died on a cross called Calvary. This Jesus who bled, died, and rose again has made a total and complete restitution for the sin debt that all of us in this room owed. This Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Our common salvation that Jude is teaching us here in the beginning of this letter is for those of us who have been called by God. If we've been called by God, then we'll be kept for Jesus Christ. This term called does not merely mean that God has invited us to join a group. No, no. Those whom God has called are powerfully and inevitably brought to faith in Christ Jesus through the proclamation of the gospel. This call is extended to everyone, but it's only successful in those that God has called to be his own. Romans chapter 1, verses 6 through 7 says this, including you who were called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8:28 And we know that all those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The purpose of this letter from Jude is that we in the church would contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the very meditations of my heart be found acceptable in your sight. For you are my Lord and my Redeemer. It is in the name of Christ, your Son, and our Savior, that we ask it all, and all God's children said, Amen. This morning in the time that we have together, we're going to look at four reasons that we are to contend for the faith. We are to contend for the faith because this faith is the faith, the only faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all to the church of Jesus Christ. We are to contend for the faith and we are to remember that there are consequences when we don't contend for it. We are to contend for the faith, recognizing that in the church there are still counterfeits. And we are to contend for the faith, knowing that we are people whom God is calling. Let's look at verse 4, and I think Jude starts to unravel this when he tells us that we are to contend for the faith delivered once for all to the saints. Jude 4 says... For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. I think it's fitting that he starts off categorizing these intruders, these imposters. He says certain people. He means for this to be a description that is disparaging, that is derogatory to these false teachers who are invading the church. These intruders that have crept in unnoticed. The verb he uses here, peres, do know, implies that these are adversaries that came into the church and they hid their character, their true character and their true motives. And then Jude 4 goes on not only to tell us who the people are we should watch out for but to tell us that God already has prepared for them at least three judgments. I think if you look at 4 you see them clearly. Number 1, ungodliness. Number 2, they're perverting the grace of God into sensuality. They're taking the freedom that we have in Christ and using it against us. And then thirdly, there is a denial that are the very lordship of jesus christ so pastor what is it to be ungodly to be ungodly is to commit the fundamental sin of living outside of receiving the grace of god and acknowledging god as god psalm 1 1 through 2 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he what? Meditates day and night. Psalm 37, 38. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Romans one 18 through 18-19 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it them. You see the ungodly they live as if as if God doesn't exist. As if God is not their Lord and Master. The second reason for judgment here on these creepers who pervert the grace of God is they want to live a life of sensuality. of selgeia usually denotes sexual sin or some kind of gross debauchery. But here, Jude uses this word to deal with the unbridled lust of these false teachers' senses, to deal with the desires that we have as well to just please our flesh, to please our flesh by any means necessary. Sensuality is our unrestrained indulgence in sensual pleasures. The third reason for judgment of these creepers is that they deny Jesus Christ as the sovereign son of God. Look at the terms that he uses here. Master and Lord. You know, a lot of people want Jesus to be their Lord because, you know, that's what? Fire insurance. But they don't want to take into consideration that he must be master and Lord, that he must have lordship over your life. Those are not two different functions for Jesus Christ. They work together. If you belong to the Lord, then you belong to the Lord. You see here a clear description of the very divinity of Christ but as we go down and look at verses 5 through 7 we see that Jews shows us that these opponents are denying Christ Jesus as their Lord look what he says here starting at 5 now I want to remind you although you once fully knew that Jesus now remember that now I want to remind you although you once fully knew it That Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own positions of authority, but left the proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding cities which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire so he spells out here in verse five he tells you about the punishment of israel he tells you about these angels that did not stay within their own position, and he speaks to you about Sodom and Gomorrah. He tells us in verses 5 through 7, we see that this functions as a warning for us that Jesus gives us, what, three uh, Old Testament illustrations of where disobedience leads, where working outside of the will of God leads to consequences. We must understand that God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, that shall they reap. So Jude is showing us, through these judgments, examples of our disobedience, their disobedience, then our disobedience to come. I think Jude took, you know, these are not chronological but they're theological i think he took them out of order because he wanted to make a point he first deals with israel he deals with god's people directly that judgment must stop where start in the house of the lord right so he deals with israel because they are objects of god's favor objects of god's redemption yet even though they experienced that God still judges them when they sin. And there's a parallel that can be drawn there to our Christian community. I think it's obvious. We also have experienced the favor of God, the redemption of God. But we are still liable for the judgment of God when we stray from his commandments. Now, I'll be the first to admit that... Jesus has built a hedge of protection around us and around our families because of our faithfulness through God, through his son, Jesus Christ. But if our our faithfulness becomes unfaithfulness, can we just still depend on the faithfulness of God? I think scripture clearly says that yes, we can if we continue to contend for the faith. Look at 2 Timothy 2. 11-12. 11 through 12. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 12. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For, for he cannot deny himself. But pastor, what if I've never been faithful to God? What if I've never believed in God? What if I've always rebelled against God and been disobedient before a holy God? Well then the Bible has something for that. Hebrews 3, 16 through 19. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter into his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter into the promised land because of unbelief. My friends, unbelief is a sin, and sin and unbelief is the ultimate barrier between us and a holy God. Unbelief will not allow us to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, we knew that there's a tradition in Jewish circles of providing three examples of judgment, and Jude doesn't let us down here. He tells us, now I want to remind you, although you, fought, you first really are fully new. The, the connection he's trying to forge here hinges on the idea that the people that he's addressing right now once fully knew Jesus— Once fully understood the faith that was once for all delivered to them. He's reminding them, I want you to remember the gospel message that has already been preached to you so that you might know that this new message that is being preached to you is false. He's not saying that they were gospel scholars that they knew everything, but they understood the gospel in contrast to a lie. So he wants to remind them and time and time again we need to be reminded of the truth because sometimes we are prof- we are prone to forget the truth when we are surrounded and immersed in lies. And there was something else, I hope you picked it up when we were reading the scripture, that Jude is saying that these people were saved and brought out of Egypt by Jesus. And we're thinking, wait a minute, uh, did he make a mistake? That should really be God. Doesn't that seem strange? But you can see something that's like that when Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 10 and 4. And all drink from the... Same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Jude has total biblical authority to make the claim that it was Jesus Christ that delivered them out of Egypt because Jesus is God. He's part of the Trinity. Israel was delivered. It was saved. Sozo. Out of Egypt by virtue of the exodus. But after liberating these people from their bondage, what happens? The Lord destroyed those who did not believe. So what is Jude talking about here, Pastor? Well, I think he has in mind what happens in Numbers 14, 1 through 12. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, "Would that we had died! Would, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword?" Then you see this grumble, He's delivered them from slavery, and they're bickering, bickering here. Our wives and little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? You know, Jesus tells you something similar. You know, he says that once you put your hand on the plow, you don't turn around. But you see the tendency that we have to go back to something that it was worse than we are facing in front of us. And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us to this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. He's saying that the Lord, if we we don't rebel against the Lord, if we contend for the faith, if we trust the Lord, we'll eat them up. We'll consume them. They'll be like bread for us. Their protection is removed from them, the ones that they're worried about, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all of the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done? Could, he not, could the Lord not come in here and ask us that today? How long will we despise him, not follow his commandments, not deal with his directives? How long will we not believe in him because we fear other things? that we cannot see, but we don't fear the one who we should fear that can take away both body and soul and put us into hell. Look what he says. I will strike them down with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make you a nation greater and mightier than they. Where the spies return except for... You see, when the spies return, except for what Caleb and Joshua They gave a report that, you know, these people that we're going up against are like giants. We could never overcome them. They showed again that they did not believe, and they were found guilty in their unbelief. I think this is a point that Jude is making here, that no person in a believing community uh, can walk away from trusting God fully. We must trust him with all of our heart, with all of our minds. I think it shows here a demonstration that those who believe in the Lord will persevere until the end. They will ignore what they see because we walk by faith and not by sight. They will never fail to believe in God. They will recognize that as Christians, we never get beyond the need to believe and trust in God. Whenever apostasy tries, uh, tries to entice us, we must remember the saving promises that Jesus Christ has made to us and how those saving promises are showed in the Old Testament that he is always faithful. So when Jude is telling them to contend for the faith, I need you to understand he's not talking about faith in the way that paul and john and peter speak about faith most of the time in the new testament he's talking about i want you to contend for the faith that was the traditional teaching of the prophets and the apostles that were handed down to the church from the beginning that how you are saved hasn't changed. Who God is hasn't changed. What the Bible says hasn't changed. You're not on the wrong side of history. God holds history in his hand. So he wants them to recognize that the touchstone here is that the Christian faith in its original teaching is the only thing that is orthodox and that there can be no deviation from it. Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. Jew goes on and said that this faith was handed down, and he wants us to know that this is not a recent thing. He says harpox, which means once and for all. Once they laid the foundation, what does Paul say? You can only build on this foundation with Christ. No supplements. No corrections, no additions, no deletions will be tolerated to the word of God. It has been perfectly delivered by the saints through the Holy Spirit. The gospel of Jesus Christ has received full clarification, explanation, illumination through the teaching of the apostles. Look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3a. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers and to the prophets. But in these last days, look at this. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And upholds the universe by what? The word of his power. Now we see the second judgment here. That involves these angels that have sinned. I hope you saw all the linkage in the text. What I kept saying likewise and like. Because Judah's is trying to make sure that you recognize that the second Uh, sin here, judgment, is because the angels dabbed in sexual immorality just as they did the same thing in Sodom and Gomorrah. We recognize here that Jude is pointing back to the judgment of the angels that you see in Genesis 1 and 4. Really Genesis, look at Genesis 6, 1 through 8. Genesis 6, 1 through 8. When man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive and they took them as wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit should not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the Son of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children with him. These were mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man and was great in the earth and that every intention and thought of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him To his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We see here that these angels had sexual intercourse with the daughters of man. That they came out of their positions of authority. Out of their domain and the rule of influence that they had in the heavenly spheres. They abandoned their own home and they transgressed proper bounds. The angels did not do what they were in position to do. They left the proper dwelling. And because of that, God has kept many of them in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the day of judgment. You see, abandoning what is right always has consequences before a holy God. And we need to recognize that even now, the angels did not escape unscathed when they violated what was fitting, and neither will we when we violate what is fitting the third example the punishment of sodom and gomorrah we recognize here with this phrase just as sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding cities establishes a parallel between the sexual immorality of the angels and the sexual immorality of sodom sexual sin is always a sin that will be judged incredibly harshly by the lord Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't their only sin but it was definitely their most predominant sin the sin of homosexuality. I don't believe that we can see biblically that these men knew that they were angels they just knew that they were men and that they desired them. The sin consisted in their homosexual intentions. Intentions. And the brutality that followed as they came into the city. There's so many churches and para groups now that are attempting to question the view of homosexuality that the Bible clearly presents. But you can't do that, my friends. You have to go with what God has said. He has not changed. He's not about to issue an apology for what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. He mentions it three or four times in the Bible. Okay, keep on doing it and you're going to see that you're going to end up the same place that Sodom and Gomorrah ended up. Peter tells us clearly, it's not the water next time, but by fire Romans 1, 21 through 32. Yeah, and this is the passage going to get this kicked off, but we're going to read it. Romans 1, 21 through 32. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools, and it's changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Therefore, now I want you, all of these, therefore, you're going to see a judicial judgment coming from God in these three stages. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts to impunity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they have changed the truth for God's lie, or they changed the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For those of you who are not as old as I am, you don't remember the 60s where there was free love and sex flourished between people who were not married. I think you see stages in our development, how this happens. Look at stage, uh, the second one. For this reason, so after they did that among one another, in at least between heterosexual couples, look what happens because of that. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For they... For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise, the same as likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were what? Consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for this era. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. This is the third one. This is where we are right now. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a disbased mind to do what ought not be done. That's why we are bat crazy right now. They are filled, and look at, look at these characteristics and see it, don't you see them daily? They are filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are filled with envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree, though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but do what? Give approval to those who practice them. Norm, normalize make laws for to protect those who practice them First Corinthians 6 9 through 11 or do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither will the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor man who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So it's nothing you can't come back from. But you got to take it off and put on Christ Jesus. You have to contend for the faith. And you have to contend for the faith by recognizing that we are surrounded, even in the church, by counterfeits. There's a story of a Japanese boy who wanted to learn all he could about Jade. And he went to study with a talented old teacher. And when he came to the old master, the old master put a precious stone in his hand and told him to hold it as tightly as he could. And then the old master began to speak of philosophy and speak of men and women. It it seems like he spoke about everything under the sun but jade. And after an hour, he took back the stone and sent the boy home and set him up for seven more weeks of lessons. Now, if you know anything about the Japanese culture, they are incredibly polite and incredibly reverent to the agent so the boy even though he's thinking when is he going to tell me something about jade uh he would not bring that up to the teacher so about the 10th week the boy comes to class and the old teacher puts a stone in his hand not a precious stone but just a stone and tells him to hold on to it tightly and the boy exclaims this is not jade You see, my brothers and sisters, if you have heard the word of God, the real truth of his word, and held it in your hands, you will instinctively know when you're holding counterfeit. When they train tellers at Chase, they never train them on counterfeit bills. They train them only on U.S. currency. Because if you know what is real, it's easy to spot what is counterfeit. Look what Jude says in verses 8 through 10. Yet in a like manner these people, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses. Remember the devil was trying to find out where they're going to bury Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand and they are destroyed by all that they like unreasoning animals understand instinctively. You see, false teachers are filthy dreamers. They defile the flesh. They defile their bodies. How do they do that, Pastor? They engage in the pleasures of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pleasures of the world. They do not struggle to keep their thoughts clean and pure. They dream and they covet after positions and possessions and personal recognition. They defile the flesh, their flesh, and the flesh of others. They claim to have dreams testimonies but they're testalized they want to secure the loyalty and the following of people because of their own dreams they reject the authority of God and they blaspheme the glorious ones second Peter 2:10 says and especially you know second Peter the whole chapter of second Peter is about false teaching second Peter 210 says and especially, Those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. You see, false teachers scoff at the idea of angels and spiritual beings they speak and create and supplant doubt doubt for themselves and doubt for others they ridicule the principles purposes of christ his authority his lordship over our lives they dare to rail against the glorious ones speaking loudly about things they do not understand and that simultaneously being destroyed By a lack of knowledge. Proverbs 5.23 says. He dies for a lack of discipline. And because of his great folly. He is led astray. They're led astray. Because they're led down the wrong path. Jude goes on to tell us. How they got on this path. And who they are imitating. Look at Jude 11. Woe to them. For they walk in the way of Cain, and they have abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's era, and they perish in Korah's rebellion. False teachers go after the way of Cain, which is what? The way of unbelief, the way of lack of love for their brothers and sisters. What did Cain do? What stands out in Scripture that you remember? He committed the first murder. He killed his own brother, Abel. And why did he do it, Pastor? Because his brother was a believer. Abel believed in God. He worshipped God as God told him. Cain did not accept what God said would be the proper way to worship me, what you should offer me. So he offered God what he wanted to offer God, and God rejected it. He accepted Abel's offering, rejected Cain, Cain became jealous, he killed his brother, and when he was asked by God, he said, in the face of a holy God, am I my brother's keeper? This is what it means to forsake the life that God has called you to and to do other things. Second Peter 2.15 says, forsaken the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who love, who love gain from wrongdoing. See, that's, it's all about gain to a false teacher. All about gain. All about contrasting. If you do this then you might be like me. How about if you do this, what Christ, who Christ is, you might be like him. Balaam's way is the choice that a person makes to promote falsehood for financial reason. Remember, Balaam would give you a prophecy that you wanted if you paid for it. It was Balaam's error, his willingness to accommodate pagan beliefs out of greed. He will pervert the grace of God into licentiousness and immorality. This is a common trait with false teachers. They attempt to turn Christian liberty into freedom and then into being promiscuous. Another trait is that incredible rebellion. They walk in the way of Korah. Korah is a path of rebellion and rejection of God's authority. Look at Numbers 16 for a minute. Numbers 16, 29 through 34. Numbers 16, 29 through 34. Moses speaking, if these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the faith of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. Remember, he's setting up this contest because Korah is coming against the leadership of Moses. And Aaron saying that we should be in charge. We're holy as well. Moses goes on and he says, But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens his mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up, and their households, and all the people who belonged to Korah, and all their goods. So that all that belonged to them went down alive in the shield. And the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all of Israel who were around, then fled at their cry, for they said, lest the Lord swallow us up as well. Jude continues here in verses 12 and 14, and he wants to give you uh, more characteristics that you should look for that will prove you're dealing with a false teacher. These are hidden wreaths at your love feast, As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." So here, King James says that there are spots and blemishes upon the fellowship of the church. In the ESV, it says that they are hidden reefs. Think about it. They operate like submerged rocks, okay? Like icebergs that you may barely see the top of it, but yet under the water is a massive piece of ice that is able to destroy the whole ship and they will wreck and shipwreck your faith if you listen to them and are led by them they can and will wreck the fellowship of a church they feast on fellowship meals with you without fear of being discovered because they know if you aren't contending for the faith you don't have any discernment anyway they take advantage of this time because they're not trying to build a kingdom of God, but they're trying to build their own kingdom. They feast with you without fear of you ever recognizing that they are fraud. These teachers, I love this, are like waterless clouds. You know, If you're up in Lebanon, we have, Stan and I have friends that own several acres of land up there and they're farmers, professionally produce major harvests every year and they see uh, this dark cloud and they're thinking, okay, here comes rain. I'm not going to have to use my irrigation system. But see, these teachers give you the promise that they're going to refresh you and grow you and rain truth upon you, but yet They're always pushed away by the winds of the storm. The only thing they offer you is emptiness and instability. Yeah, you might get a sugar high because they're doing a backflip on a a pulpit, but that's not truth. That won't sustain you. Then, what does Jude compare them to? He compares them to like trees in late autumn that look like they're flourishing with fruit. What did Jesus do? To the fig tree that offered fruit but bore no fruit? He took it down. You see, teachers, false teachers cannot water the seed of God in the hearts of people, nor will their teaching ever be fruitful. Not in the right way. Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I think people miss this. He's not talking about prophets who dress like other sheep. When he says sheep's clothing, he is talking about the clothing of a shepherd. That is what Matthew is talking about. Beware here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in the clothing of a shepherd, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them. He gives you the clarion call. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So then every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears what? Bad fruit. Healthy trees cannot bear bad fruit, nor can diseased trees bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So you should be able to recognize counterfeits by their fruit. By their teaching, they're teaching ugly and shameful and repulsive things that don't belong in the church. Then he paints you, uh, Jew, paints this picture for you of sea waves that rage upon the shore, and the, form, the foam that comes in those sea waves because of the fierce winds of the storm. But then after the storm, you see just a bunch of debris and driftwood and seawood and scum, all kind of litter and filth that is left on the shoreline. Titus 1, 15 through 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure but both their minds and their consciences are defiled they profess to know God but they deny him by their works they are detestable disobedient unfit for any good work look at 14 and 16 it was about these Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied saying Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict all the ungodly for all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. You think Enoch is talking about ungodly people here? You know, many want to challenge this reference to Enoch because you know there's no book of Enoch in the uh, in the scriptures that we hold dear only in the second tier of Durano and second tier which I look at those books as just reference books in their prophetkah but if Jude you know Jude quotes from that once and so does Paul so if they have decided to quote from that you you can recognize that that even though those are historic books, There's truth in some truth that's embedded in that, that is transformed, that's that's transferable to what we know as the very truth of God. 17, he gives us just a description of these teachers who are false in the faith. They're grumblers, malcontents, following their only sinful desires. They are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage they are detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work they are doomed they know that Jesus Christ will return to the earth to judge them and he will bring ten thousand of his holy ones when he speaks of ten thousand of his holy ones, it means thousand multiplied by thousand myriads and myriads of angels This verse speaks to the fact that these teachers walk by the flesh and not by the spirit. They reject Jesus and they are on their own. But lastly, Jude proclaims to us that we are to contend for the faith, those of us who are being called by God. Jude is covered in this letter. Terrible dangers that we face as believers, if we do not contend for the faith, once for all, delivered to the saints. This faith that teaches that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came down to earth to bear, and bear the sins of men and to redeem men from their own sinfulness, that Jesus Christ is the sinless Son of God, the only one that can help save us. Verses 17 and 19. But you must remember beloved. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. First thing he reminds us up here is that in our day, there will be markers, markers that will present to us things that are totally untrue about God. Second Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of life. So it is no surprise that his servants... Also, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now, remember what you told you that their destruction has already been claimed uh, previously. Same thing he's saying here. Look at uh, Paul in Galatians 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will weep from the flesh corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have the opportunity, and watch this, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are in a household of faith. In the next 24 months, everything that you find in this book will be challenged, will be denied, will be considered on the wrong side of history, will be considered judgmental, will be considered is not showing love in what you speak. You're going to have to know know this book like Adam Schiff on law and order and be able to say, I object! Because thus says the Lord. And whether they believe you, whether they agree with your argument, that's not the point. Contend for the faith once for all given to the saints. It hasn't changed. They have changed. But God's word hasn't changed. We're going to see, they're going to even try to, and and really they can't, they can only, you know, Christianity is built on the whole concept of the remnant anyway. They're going to divide the church. But they're not going to divide the true church. They're going to divide true Christians from nominal Christians. Yeah, I'll give you that. And I, and I think you will see a great delusion. I'll give you that. And I think you will see people who fall away. I'll give you that. Yeah, you know, we need to build bridges, but there's some bridges we're going to have to let them fall apart. There's some relationships, even that you have that are close, that you're going to have to let go because they have let go of God. True teachers are always going to lift up the standard of righteousness regardless of what kind of predicament it places them in. They're not going to try to sell works righteousness. They're not going to try to sell self-reliance. They're not going to try to sell self-esteem and self-confidence or a selfish mindset. Their teaching is not going to be centered on man, but centered on God. They're going to teach that you Because you are the beloved of God, need to recognize that you should contend for the faith. Look at verses 20 through 23. But you, beloved, and stop right there. This phrase we've seen repeated at least three times. Beloved, the word agape toss. And it means you who are esteemed, you who are favored, you who are worthy of love. He goes on, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. To build yourself up in the most holy faith, you have to contend for the faith that was once for all given by the apostles to the church of Jesus Christ. You don't add, you don't delete keeping yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? The Bible's already told us, as we draw closer to God, he will what? Draw closer to us. (coughs) It means that we must stay in the center of God's will that leads us to what? Eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. That means that we don't supplant other doubt in people's minds. But we help and we nurture and we disciple people who have their doubts about God. Saving others by snatching them out of the fire. We must become, each and every one of us, gospel firefighters willing to run into a burning building which is called this world to snatch those to safety who have yet to hear the gospel, who have yet to know who Jesus is. You got to be able to leave it all on the field. You got to run into that building knowing you may not come out of that building. But you are motivated by your compassion, your love, your desire to bring them to safety. To others, show mercy with fear. That means that we are to have patience, have mercy with others, to practice the mercy that God had for us. And then he talks about us being at a different level of responsibility when he says hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That means we got to practice self-control we got to practice the fruit of the spirit so that we keep even our garments free from the stain of sin and our flesh. Think about that. You don't even want it. You don't want it in you, but you don't even want it on your clothes. You don't want any evidence of that in the life that you live before a holy God. And then we see Jude that gives one of the most powerful benedictions in the New Testament. That he goes into a moment of total, unrestrained worship of the God that he serves. Look at verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want to put emphasis on these last four words. Be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now. Forever Amen. Second Timothy one, eight through ten says this therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saves us and calls us to a holy calling, not because of our words, not because of his own but because of his own purposes and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I think this lines up what Jude is trying to get to here. Jude is saying that here we see the glory the doxa, the excellence the preeminence of Christ Jesus then we see the majesty that God is greater than all mega losune then we see dominion kratos that means that God is sovereign He has dominion over all things, that he has no boundaries, that he's never boxed in. And then lastly, he says authority, exousia, which speaks of the fact that he has power over creation. He has power over the whole world, that he and he alone is worthy to be praised. And he's worthy to be praised now and forever. We can praise the Lord in every action that we take on every moment, in every moment of every day. By continuing to contend for the faith. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you will build us up on every leaning side. That you will not let us take this as just a casual Sermon, but let us recognize, Lord, that we need to build an ark called your church for the coming flood. The flood of disinformation, the flood opened, the flooding and the opening of Pandora's box, the delegitimizing of everything that we know to be true. The attacks on our very soul and our belief system. But Lord, let's build strong arcs, call your church, that those who are drowning in the cesspool that's happening outside these walls will have a place of refuge. But Lord, give us the ability to teach the truth in here first, and that it permeates us so well that we are able to go out to the highways and byways and regurgitate it and bring passengers on board that when you come back for us we have been co-laborers in your harvest because we know that everyone that you've called is coming to you so Lord we just ask for you to equip us, empower us that we can do our part for your kingdom. It's in the precious name of your son and our savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we ask it all and all God's children said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank God for the truth of his word this morning and uh, what a blessing his word is and and uh